Good morning, my friend. I hope you're doing well. It is early in the morning on a Sunday, 9 July 2023. I got a little crackle in my voice today, um, and I can't seem to shake it, so I hope you don't mind that. Rattling you up a little bit this morning before the sun comes up here on Sunday. I hope you get out and worship with your people this morning on the Lord's Day, and also hope that you have some downtime and that you don't have to strain and toil so much. You need a day of Sabbath recovery, as we are instructed in the Word, and I hope that you get some of that today. Um, You need a dose of relaxation and recovery. And today we're going to talk about recovery. I have an incredible guest for the Everyday Hope series. She actually reached out to me. Um, I love this part of the online work that I do is that other authors and podcasters are finding me and I'm finding them and I reach out when I find a book that matters to me or somebody reaches out because of something I put out. And this person, uh, Caroline Beidler, has written an incredible book, Downstairs Church, Finding Hope in the Grit of Addiction and Trauma Recovery. She has an unbelievable story, childhood trauma, abuse, uh, addiction, recovery, and a near miss where she almost ran over a little boy that kind of shook her up and, and got her attention, and then finding hope in the church, but not the normal way that most of us come to church. Um, her story is gritty and it's powerful, and she reached out to me because she uh, read a Philip Yancey book and started following him in, in his work, turned her, helped turn her faith life around. And she ended up having Philip on her podcast, and then she found my book, I've Seen the Interview, and my connection to Philip Yancey, and she just felt like she would reach out after she read I've Seen the Interview, and we, we connected, and she's got an incredible Instagram, by the way, you should check her out on Instagram, and I'll put the link in the show notes. Um, and she's just doing amazing work, and you'll hear all about her story later, but she's gone on to, to lead uh, recovery and addiction work. She has a great social media presence and now has written a very powerful book, Downstairs Church. And her story is just moving and gripping and will give you hope that no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what you've been through and what kind of trouble you've had or pain or abuse or trauma or addiction or hopelessness of any sort, and there's always a group of people who are willing to come alongside you, who want to come alongside you. Sometimes those folks are in what Philip Yancey and Caroline call the Downstairs Church. And you'll find out more about what she means by that as we get along in this conversation. It's a wonderful talk about how you can find hope in the darkest moments of your life if you just keep looking. And the most important thing is you can't change your life until you change your mind. The good news about that, as Lisa's about to tell us, is that you can start today. Hey, are you ready to change your life? If the answer is yes, there's only one rule. You have to change your mind first. And my friend, there's a place where the neuroscience of how your mind works smashes together with faith and everything starts to make sense. That place is called self-brain surgery. You can learn it and it will help you become healthier, feel better, and be happier. And the good news is you can start today. Thanks, Lisa. Hey, so glad to have you listening today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren and I live in Nebraska in the United States of America with my incredible wife, Lisa, my father-in-law, Tata, and the super pups, Harvey and Lewis. I'm a neurosurgeon and an author, and I'm here to help you harness neuroscience, the power of your brain, faith, the power of your spirit, and good old common sense to help you lead a healthier, better, happier life. Listen, friend, you can't change your life until you change your mind, and I'm here to help you learn the art of self-brain surgery to get it done if you'd like the show. Please subscribe so you never miss an episode and tell your friends about it. If you tell two or three friends this podcast was helpful to you, imagine how much good we can all do around the world together. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I'm here to help you change your mind so you can change your life. Let's get after it. 
Friend, we're back, and I'm so excited to introduce a new friend to you today. I've been reading her for a while now. We've got an incredible book to talk about with hope and addiction and recovery and, and just a beautiful story of resilience. We've got Caroline Beidler here with us today. Welcome to the show, Caroline. Oh, thank you so much. It's wonderful to be here. It's good to be with you. Congratulations on the book, The Downstairs Church. It's a, a fascinating book, a great story that you have, and I can't wait for you to tell our listeners here in a few minutes about it. But before we do that, would you mind starting us off with prayer? Absolutely. I would love to. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for bringing us to this moment um, and help us take a pause in all of the busyness and really reflect on your word and your goodness and the hope that you bring uh, to your children, um, those that struggle with addiction, trauma, illness, whatever it may be, um, we know that you show up and your promises are true. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. So the book is Downstairs Church, Finding Hope in the Grit of Addiction and Trauma Recovery. You you reached out to me um, a couple of months ago now via email, and when I saw the title of your book, I was like, i got to get her on. So even before I read it, I love it. Our, our, our work kind of complements one another, I think. And tell us a little bit of your story, Caroline. Uh, give us kind of the, the listener who hasn't read your book yet, and I'm highly encouraging everyone to get it. But uh, for somebody that doesn't know you yet, give us a 30,000-foot view of you. I would, I would love to. Um, it's always an interesting question because, you know, it's challenging to kind of pick those those highlights and those moments. But, you know, ultimately, I am uh, a woman. Uh, I identify as a woman in recovery, a Christian woman in recovery, and grew up in the Midwest, had what, you know, on the outside appeared like the typical childhood. Um, but certainly my family struggled, you know, went through things like divorce and the death of a grandparent who I was really close to and who basically raised me and, you know, some challenges like that. And then moved into a struggle with addiction and substance use really early on. I mean, I would say that I knew I was an alcoholic probably by the first time that I took a drink at, you know, 10 or 11 years old um, and then moved into other substances really quick as at the time, I didn't know that I was um, really self-medicating some trauma symptoms and self-medicating because I, even as a child, wanted to escape that pain that I was feeling. Wow. And I had a lot of questions. You know, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I felt a connection with God really early on. I knew there was something out there, but I didn't have a name. Uh, I didn't have that model of, you know, what, what a Christian was or what, you know, what a family uh, should look like. Yeah. And so spent a lot of years running and, um, my running ultimately led me into some interesting, uh, experiences. We call them in recovery, you know, spiritual experiences that kind of rocked my world and shook me awake, um, into this new life of recovery. And I'm so grateful to be able to write about that. So you said several things interesting as you were telling us your story, you had some, some alternative experiences and stuff. Unpack that a little bit for us. Cause I think it's, I think it's pretty common when we, especially in addiction and recovery or anytime we're trying to find our way out of a really hopeless situation, it's common to reach for something that feels bigger. So what were some of those experiences that you had? Well, you know, and I think we have this in common. Um, Philip Yancey is one of my favorite authors. And yep. so when I was in my early 20s and, you know, feeling out recovery and what it was like to live a substance free and, you know, in sobriety, I happened upon his book, Where Is God When It Hurts? Yep. And I felt like in that book, 
he was able to articulate what my early 20 something, you know, woman in recovery or trying to be in recovery was grappling with for years, which was, you know, how can God exist when we feel so much pain in the world, when the world is hurting? And I just remember, you know, and I am an avid reader and just his, the way he made those connections between, for example, Dr. Brand, you know, yeah. how leprosy patients, um, when they, because they feel pain, it's actually, it helps them, right? So part of that disease is the inability to, to feel pain. And that's where some of those, um, uh, challenges with it come in. You're a physician, you'd be able to speak more intelligently about it than me. And, but anyways, I just happened upon different books like that, that really spoke to me and helped articulate what was going on in my mind, which is really the struggle with God and this anger. Uh, I would later identify with God at how could you let me, God, how could God let me experience things like you know, divorce and the death of a loved one. And then later in my active addiction at 14, I experienced sexual violence for the first time. Mm. And that happened again in college, you know, and it's not, I'm not unique in that one in four women in our country today experienced that in college. And, you know, but I was experiencing all these things that I just, I didn't understand how God could allow it. And so I had a lot blocking me in terms of being able to connect spiritually um, even though that was something I yearned for so deeply. Yeah. Isn't it interesting how the thing we need the most, which is to to find something that's unchangeable and immovable, seems sometimes to be the thing that's hardest for us to grasp because we have these ideas of things that God wouldn't do. Like he wouldn't mm-hmm. let me feel this. He wouldn't let me have that. And if you look yeah. at the Bible, like it's it, everybody in the Bible went through devastating, horrible things. So where do we ever get the idea that God wouldn't allow certain things? But we all do that. It's it's interesting to me. Mm-hmm. So you discovered Philip Yancey, like you said, much like I did at a time when I needed – my story was different, but I had a very legalistic upbringing where my, my faith wasn't working in the real world. It just All the things that I thought were true just weren't working out for me, and I was having a hard time. And Philip's book, The Jesus I Never Knew – introduced me to a Jesus who loved me and who cared about me and wasn't sort of waiting out there to zap me when I did something wrong. That's kind of the idea that I had growing up as God was just lurking around with a hammer waiting to smash me. And and it just didn't work in the real world. You needed a loving God who could hold on to you and help you with these hard things. So so I found Philip through that that pathway too and somebody shared the book and I think it's amazing the the power of writing and giving people something that can stick around and land where you don't even know they're going to need it. Where'd you come to the idea of writing about all this, by the way, Carolyn? Well, writing has always been an outlet for me and, you know, I'm a very creative person. So even as a child, as I was struggling, I was writing stories and it was always just something that I knew God was leading me to. Um, But through my recovery, you know, in my early twenties, I actually ended up on the professional side of things, going back to school, went to graduate school, started working with women in recovery, mentoring folks in recovery, and then building programs and working on grants and all of these different, this professional side of things. And I mean, honestly, when we, in 2020, you know, when uh, COVID hit, I felt, I felt moved into this space very clearly from God. It was kind of like, okay, now it's time to start writing. And then all of a sudden, all these doors started opening. Um, I actually had the opportunity to interview Philip Yancey, which was, you know, I had a major fangirl moment there. Um, But all of these people kind of came alongside me to mentor me too in my writing. And so it's just been, it's been an incredible experience. And, And you mentioned this about 
the power of words, you know, I mean, just the fact that there are books that have moved our own spiritual journeys at points and, you know, to be able to, even in a small way, share words that might impact someone else positively. I mean, it is a calling. There's a huge weight and responsibility with that, but I definitely feel God moving me into that, um, into that place. That's beautiful. And you did a great job of your interview with Philip. I'll put a link to in the show notes to that conversation. You guys had a great talk and Philip's always so gracious and, and spends time with us and he, he, he deigns to meet with normal people like us. I love him so much. Uh, we're, we're two big Philip Yancey fans here if you're listening, Phil. <laughs> So what was the, what was the moment, um, you talk about it in the book, but what was that moment in your life when you said, I've got to, I've got to make a change here. Like this has to change, but my life has to change. What was that moment like for you? Hmm. Well, I think I had a couple different moments like that along, along the way, but I shared this story a little bit and I don't talk about it too much in my, um, I haven't talked about it too much publicly, but there are a couple of different things that happened. Um, one of them being an active addiction. I, um, you know, was struggling and I was using, I was probably in my, again, early twenties or so mid twenties and ended up having an accident where I, instead of stopping full stop at a stop sign, rolled through that stop sign and, um, Kurt felt this noise, this loud noise. And all of a sudden I looked to my right. And there was a little boy standing there <sighs> and I got out of my car and I went around and underneath my car was his bike. Ooh. Um, ooh, I like just talking about it kind of gives me chills, but I don't know exactly what happened. Again, I was under the influence, um, but that little boy did not have a scratch on him, but that bike was t- completely totaled. Wow. Um, now that event really, um, And this happens to so many people in recovery that I've talked to where there's things that happen when we're actively using that causes such guilt and shame, you know, and you talk about, I loved your book. Um, I've seen the end of you, you know, you you talk about that. I believe it was Joey um, who struggled with addiction and some of the things that he went through and just the shame that he carried. Um, I wish that moment would have been like instantly, you know, I found sobriety and it wasn't that. But it was a seed that was planted that was this guilt and shame that I did not want to carry anymore. I did not want to live in that place. And those experiences led me to reach out. You know, I love in the Bible when it talks about, you know, God is close to the brokenhearted, whether it's something that we do or something that happens to us. Those moments are when the Lord really draws near and really comes close. Um, and so that was one of the, one of the moments that, um, really, uh, significantly impacted me. Wow. You just said something really important. We, a couple of weeks ago, I had a guest on named Tim Murphy, who was a U.S. congressman and he had a big high profile moral failure while he was in office that led him ultimately to having to resign his office. And I mean, a big public scandal and it was in the news and all that. And of course the other party uses it to, you know, it turns into this big political thing. And he write, he wrote about how sometimes in, when we have trauma in our lives, if it was our fault, I put that in air quotes, if you're listening and not watching, um, People don't give us the same amount of grace and help and, and support. Even we don't even do it for ourselves. We don't say, yeah, that was my fault, but God still has a plan for me. And, and we still can find a way to, to 
to understand that we still have a life to live, even if the thing that happened was our fault. So, I mean, unpack that for a second. You, you alluded to it, but sometimes the things that we do are our fault, and sometimes they're not. But we still deserve a path forward, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think that's where grace comes in. You know, I think that's where grace comes in. And, and interestingly, I know I keep bringing up Philip Yancey, but in my <laughs> interview, he talked about uh, it, the downstairs church. Yep. And in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, he used that phrase, downstairs church, to explain what he experienced when he went to a recovery meeting with a friend of his in the yeah. basement of a church. And what he experienced was open arms, welcoming grace on tap. He, he phrased it, but this, this love that was unconditional. And part of the reason I wanted to write downstairs church is I wanted to show a glimpse of not just the struggle and the reality of what can happen in addiction. Like I talk about in the book, like you know, sexual violence. I talk about a woman I met who experienced human trafficking, someone who gave birth in prison, you know, the really gritty stuff. But what also happens in recovery spaces, which is this grace and this love that I have not found in any other's context ever, including the church. Yeah. Uh, So I think, you know, there's a lot to learn there and and a lot more to unpack. But uh, grace is something that is this gift that is life-changing and transformative. That's right. I love that you brought, you segued into the title, which I was going to ask you to unpack in a second and we'll do more. But you talk about this, this grace that we have in the, in the, in the community of other people who recognize that they're broken and who recognize that, that they've got pain and issues and traumas that need to be dealt with and not this posture of we've got it all figured out and we're going to we're going to let you come up to our place up in the upstairs church i love that and i've noticed that there's an old uh, joke an old saying uh, the church the, the lord's army is the only army that shoots its wounded <laughs> like, and that's true sometimes right yeah did you find that and as you started um healing and coming out of that did you find some people that that handled you roughly because you were an addict or you talked about the the brokenness that you had? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, and it still happens both personally and and professionally and certainly uh, within the church. And one of the reasons I'm so passionate about sharing my story publicly, it's not, you know, because I think I'm special or my recovery is unique or or I want to be an influencer or anything ridiculous uh, like that. But it's because when we share our stories of addiction and recovery and our our stories of hope, research out there actually shows that when people encounter personal stories of recovery, their attitudes about it, their stigmatizing beliefs or discriminatory beliefs are changed and altered. Uh, And so there's so many advocates like myself out there who were talking about this publicly because it will change other folks' attitudes. And in the book and towards the end of the book, I provide faith communities with a list of ways that they can be more supported, more supported, excuse me, more trauma informed and support women like me. Because for years, um, honestly, like I walked around, you know, I had my hoodie up. This was back when I was still smoking cigarettes, you know, and I'd kind of sneak in the church, sit in the back. I did that for years in and out of different churches, never feeling like I belonged, never feeling welcomed. And I'd love to point fingers and say it was the church's fault. Uh, It wasn't. I think it was still a lot of that shame I carried. But I think there's a way that we as a faith community can learn how to walk alongside women like myself, folks like myself who carry that shame and help break those chains. 
That's right. That's exactly right. You know, I got I got some a couple of the negative reviews. I don't read reviews anymore, but I used to really like want to read my reviews when I was starting first starting to write. And some of the negative reviews about my book I've seen in the interview related to how I described the character Joey that you mentioned, who was a mm-hmm. a drug addict and been in prison, and you know all these things that happened to him. And I and, and some of the reviews were you, you shouldn't call these people scumbags. You shouldn't say that he was a, a dirtbag or a down and outer. And, and they missed my point. What what I was saying about Joey was that's how he felt. Like he mm-hmm. felt ashamed of where he had been from, and he projected that mm-hmm. to the world that I'm 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 a nobody. You shouldn't love me. And that and that cost mm-hmm. him years of his life of, of sort of staying away from people who would have loved him. And I think that was a good point that you made. Like sometimes it's us. It's the it's the people that don't suffer with a particular issue that, that make other people feel rejected. And sometimes it's it's us who do struggle with that, that believe that no one can accept us, and so we don't give them a chance. I think both of those are important, I think. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, I love how Jesus models in Scripture. You know, yeah. I've kind of been meditating on John 8, but how Jesus models in Scripture how to love and how to do those simple acts of service, washing feet. You know, this isn't some like big churches don't have to start a recovery ministry, although they certainly can and I guess should probably. But, you know, but how can we show up in a loving, graceful, embracing way to help people move through the stigma? And in John 8, Jesus like called it out. You know, the woman in adultery who came up and folks are ready to stone her and say for what she did for this, uh, you know, sexual immorality or whatever, whatever it was. And Jesus was like, you know, no, those who are without sin can throw the first stone and everyone, you know, kind of tails between their legs shuffled off. Yep. Right. And I think that acknowledgement and that highlighting that in scripture shows us, you know, none of us are above, you know, being dirtbags and being scumbags. I mean, I liked how you talked about it actually in the book because it was so real. It was like, you know, and that's why I, lo- I love your writing and I'm really excited about um, your next book. Thank you. But just so real and just, you know, let's not sugarcoat it. This is how people feel. This is how how we view ourselves. Um, yeah. I love that. You talk about the phrase you used. You said it a second ago, grit. Uh, and your subtitle of the book is The Grit, Finding Hope in the Grit of Addiction and Trauma Recovery. So talk about that for a minute. What does that mean to you? And, and what does it mean to our listener when you talk about grit in that process? Mm-hmm. Well, I love, you know, as a writer, as I'm sure you know as well, words. I love words. I love how they sound. I love yeah. their meaning. I love, you know, I just love everything about putting words together. And um, the word grit to me, it just, you know, it sounds like what it is, you know, it it's resilience and it's, but it's also it, to me, it, it feels like a little muddy, a little yeah. mucky, you know, like we're moving through something. And to me, that's a, the perfect picture of what recovery is. It's moving through the struggle, uh, moving through the challenges and the pain to get to something beautiful on the other side. And, you know, for those of us in recovery, we see it all the time. It's, it's total life transformation, you know, literal new creations after uh, going through that recovery process and having those spiritual experiences, you know, for me becoming a Christian and then learning more about what discipleship and spiritual formation is. Uh, So grit. Yeah, I love it. And I have to think, I can't take total credit. Uh, My publisher, you know, we, we shopped, workshop that subtitle for quite a while. So um, I appreciate how everyone landed there, though. I love that word. I think that's a a little known fact that people think that 
that uh, book titles come from the author always, but we fight about those things in the process. Like we come with a title that we love and the publisher says, Hey, how about changing the title? And we have these big fights and focus groups and surveys. And that's a, that's a fun part of the process, isn't it? Love it. So how's the, um, how does it feel? How do you feel the book has been um, received by the world? Are you getting some, some feedback that gives you encouragement that people are, are taking it and, and learning from it and growing from it? And, and what are you experiencing as an author now from that? I am, you know, I, I too am reading reviews cause this is my first, uh, first rodeo <laughs> yeah. here. Um, so every time one comes in, I'm like, going to Amazon, reading it. Um, you know, what moves me the most is certainly not the negative. Um, what moves me the most is hearing from people who say, you know, there's one woman who came to me and, you know, she messaged me on Facebook and said, after reading this particular chapter, I decided I wasn't going to go back out drinking. Wow. And that things like that, it, it just, it's this affirmation. I feel like that I sometimes need, which is I'm do you know, there, there is meaning in what I'm doing and this, this isn't wasted time. And another, you know, example is, um, I've given out some copies. And so there was a gentleman at our church who, um, is an older gentleman, you know, they've been in the church for a long time, doesn't identify as being a person in recovery or even connected with it at all. And somehow he got a copy of the book and after reading ended up donating a significant amount of funds to create a scholarship for recovery housing in our small town in Eastern Tennessee. And so on a regular basis, every month, there are women and men who get to go to recovery housing that they may not have otherwise been able to attend, um, possibly saving their life. You know, um, that's, that's the reality we're in with, especially the fentanyl crisis and and opioid crisis that uh, so many uh, communities are feeling. So it's those moments that I'm like, you know, words are powerful. Words are powerful and God can move through even just the simplest sentence or simplest word like grit, you know, God can move through that. Um, and create positive change. And that was ultimately my prayer for the book was God use this to speak to that one person to do something. And um, I feel like God is answering that prayer. Wow. That's amazing. That's one of those Romans 8, 28 moments where you didn't know the good that God was going to do from your addiction and recovery and all of that. And now it's, he's doing a good work through that, that couldn't have happened if you hadn't been through the steps you've been through. That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. I I love how, um, God shows up in his promises and reminds us that they're always true. And, and that's, that's one of those examples you just gave, like, like you couldn't have, those scholarships would not have happened if you hadn't written the book and you wouldn't have written the book if you hadn't been through all the things that you've been through. And there may be some lives saved or some suicides prevented or, you know, who knows because of that work that you did and out of that process that you went through. I love that. That's a, that's a full circle, little kindness of God on your life right there. Mm-hmm. It it is. It really is. And it's almost overwhelming sometimes to take in that that love of God and those promises of God that are true. And um it is it is pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. I mean I, I posted something on on social media pretty recently asking a question, you know, if there was one thing that you would say to your younger self, what would it be? And I love doing those questions. And it's just so interesting, the things that come up. But if there was, you know, one thing that I would say to my younger self struggling through addiction uh, would just be, you know, the promises of God are real. You know, the promises of God are real and hold on. 
hold on. And that's what I try to communicate with the women, you know, that I work with and I mentor. And that's the good stuff. I just want to say that too. You know, a lot of folks think, and I've had people say, well, you're an author and always in this great and grand and this and that. And I always like to say, you know, the things that I, that are most important don't happen on social media. There's not a lot of buzz about it. It is that one-on-one connection with other people. I'm sure you can probably relate with your work. Uh, But anyways, that's exactly right. I mean, the the best thing about about writing books and the best thing about being a surgeon is hearing from that one person that says, you know, you made a difference in my life and, and this thing that you did or this thing that you said changed my life or kept me alive. Or those are, those are the things that make it worthwhile. Cause I think that's, that's why we relate so well to a savior is like, like, like I know you did that for me and you made a difference in my life. And it, I'm glad you did it for all the, everybody else too, but you, you did that for me. And when, when that salvation becomes personal, it makes a huge difference in, in your life. So talk about the, the moment in your life when you felt the most hopeless for a moment. Like what was the time when it just felt like it could never get better? And what did you do next? Mm. Well, it was actually around that time when I was talking about with the accident, you know, where there was yeah. a the little boy and uh, miraculously he was okay. And, you know, there was just so much pain and darkness. I mean, I was using um, drugs on a regular basis. I was isolating. So I didn't have friends, you know, I was just so, so alone. I ended up experiencing an assault again after leaving a bar Mm. on campus. I mean, there was just all of these things were just cycling and cycling and cycling. And um, this is an interesting turn of events, but it was about three years after the accident with the little boy, I was actually hit by a drunk driver as a pedestrian. So this is almost like soap opera feel, right? So almost the same exact thing happened to me and another friend of mine. And uh, the friend that I was with ended up breaking his neck and back is still using a cane and having issues with it. I ended up flipping over the back of our car. We were kind of hit into our car, which was totaled by an SUV. um, And it was a drunk driver. And um, I flipped around the back of the car, not a scratch. I had like a bruise on my knee. And it was that moment where I felt everything coming full circle. And I remember going back to my little apartment, you know, smoke filled apartment. And I just pulled the covers over my head went to sleep, got up the next day. And I just remember very clearly God speaking this one sentence to me. And I wrote it down on a piece of paper and I still have this little piece of paper, but it's time to be alive again. Wow. And that sentence just kept going over and over and over and over again in my mind. And I dropped down onto the ground and was just, you know, sobbing and, but just reaching out. And I just remember saying, you know, Lord help me, which I had done a lot of times before. Yeah. But I didn't know who I was praying to. But I I knew this time. I knew who it was. And um I was just, you know, over and over again Jesus helped me and it was like, you know, they talk about in recovery sometimes there's an instantaneous removal of the obsession to use drugs and alcohol. And that was pretty much my experience. Wow. Um it was pretty it was pretty incredible. But how interesting God had me experience mirrored that same thing that I had inflicted on someone else. I don't know. I get emotional talking about it because again, it's that thing that is so overwhelming that God would show up in that way and move me to that, that sentiment of it's time to be alive again. Wow. That's a beautiful story. And he gave you both sides of the experience, I think. So you could see not only what it felt like to almost kill somebody, but what 
the other person felt like when they nearly died at your hands, like you've got to see both sides of that feeling. I do believe he heals us instantaneously. That's what Psalm 103 says. He heals all your diseases and you know, redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. And he's done that for you. Tell us, tell us what God's done for you since you started walking this road of recovery. You've got the family, you've got the husband, you've got the life. Tell us about that. Well, it's, it's amazing. I mean, I, I was joking. I joke sometimes on speaking engagements and things, but I actually, I married a man who wears a dress shirt every day to work. Um, <laughs> I drive a silver minivan. You know, I have two beautiful children and all of these things that I would never, never in a million years have thought that, you know, my life would be this way. And certainly it's not perfect, but you know, I'm able to show up today as a mother and as a wife you know, I have a great job. I just landed a new consulting gig, you know, wrote yeah. a book. I mean, God has been a, God has given me these beautiful gifts, but I think above all of those things, you know, or doings, yeah. it's my, my movement towards understanding my identity, you know, as a child of God and just how yeah. transformative that is. Like, I wish I could show you, maybe I, I should do this at other interviews, but a picture of what I look like lights turned off, you know? And now I just feel like the light is on, you wow. know, and, and, um, I remember one of the first, um, days after that moment, when I had that, that message and that, you know, really turning my life over to God, I remember going for a walk in the woods and it was like, I was seeing everything for the first time. Wow. It was like, wow, have the trees always been this beautiful? And, you know, has the sky always been so blue and, you know, God, have you always been this close? And um, it's just been like that every day since, even on the hard days. Wow. Uh, it is just, it's amazing to be able to live and walk in that truth that we are new creations, you know, wow. in Christ. And and that is so true. And I, I just long for every person struggling with addiction to come to that realization about who they truly are. Wow, that's so beautiful. You're right. I mean, there's hope springing up in your life. And, and when you stop numbing your life, when you stop trying not to feel the things that are hurting you, you start feeling all the things that are out there for you, right? Because you can't just numb the stuff that hurts. You end up numbing everything else too, right? Yeah, yeah. Very true. Wow. Caroline Beidler, The Downstairs Church is the book. Um, you're going to give great hope to our listeners today. I guess if, if you had to leave us with one thing, if there's somebody that's that's in that dark place, they've been through the massive thing, they've been through addiction, they're, they're at the, the lowest point there, what do you say to them today to, that could change the arc of what they do tomorrow? Like, what, What's your counsel for somebody out there who's really at the end of their rope? I love that question. Well, I would, I would say to them again, you know, God's promises are true and to hold on, you know, that hope, hope is real. And one of the best things that you can do if you're struggling in addiction, or maybe you are a family member who has a family member who's been struggling for a long time is reach out for support. You do not have to suffer alone. You do not have to struggle in isolation. Recovery is about community and reach out for support, whether that's doing a quick Google search. You know, I always encourage people message, you know, shoot me a message on socials and I will connect you with someone in your state who knows about the local resources that can support you. Because there's so many organizations out there today that have a pulse on what's happening in local communities. And the other thing is walk through the door of that church. Doesn't matter if you have your hoodie up and you're throwing your cigarette bed out. Doesn't matter if you've, you know, if you've lost a child to addiction, whatever your situation is, walk through those doors and reach your hand and 
there will be someone there that will help support you. Amen. The Downstairs Church, finding hope in the grit of addiction and trauma recovery. You've been giving us some hope today, Caroline. Grateful for your time today and uh, very excited for your new voice out there in the writing community. And, and God bless you and your family for everything you do going forward. Oh, thank you so much. And I'm so excited about your book release. I'm going to promote it on all of my my folks and um, can't wait to read it. Thank you so much. I'll send you a signed copy if you'll send me one too. I'll trade books. I would love that. That's awesome. God bless you, friend. Thank you so much for your time today. Wow, what a great conversation. Caroline Beidler, C-A-R-O-L-I-N-E-B-E-I-D-L-E-R.com, CarolineBeidler.com. The book is Downstairs Church, Finding Hope in the Grit of Addiction and Trauma Recovery. Listen, her story tells me and should tell you that there's no place where it's too late or too far for you to find hope. Romans 12, 12 in the voice translation is the verse that I use when I signed copies of I've seen the interview. And it says, don't forget to rejoice for hope is always just around the corner. Psalm 71, 14. As for me, I will always choose hope. I will always take hope. Friend, open your eyes. Remember and move towards hope. And don't give up. There's a group for you. There's people who will love you and put their arms around you. There's a downstairs church for you if you need it. But Jesus is always there. And your brain and your brain science can work for you and on your behalf if you learn how to operate your mind properly through self-brain surgery. Listen, Hope is the First Dose. My book is coming out in nine days. It's going to help you. I think Carolyn Bidler's book is another one of those that you should grab and read. There's so much in it, so many great stories. And the encouragement and the light of hope can be found in the downstairs church. And I love having that conversation with her today, and I think you should check her out for more. Her Instagram is worth following, especially if you're interested in these ideas around recovery and, and trauma recovery and addiction and all those things, that the very powerful resources that Caroline has to offer. And she's doing some great work out there. Listen, friend, hope is always just around the corner, but you can't change your life until you change your mind. And the good news is you can start today. Hey, thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the show so you automatically get every episode. And if you like the show, you'll love my weekly letter. Check out my writing at drleewarren.substack.com, drleewarren.substack.com. Get the free newsletter every week for my best prescriptions for becoming healthier, feeling better, and being happier through the power of faith and neuroscience smashing together via self-brain surgery, drleewarren.substack.com. And if you need prayer, go to the prayer wall at wleewarrenmd.com slash prayer. The theme music for the show is Make Us One by Tommy Walker, graciously provided for free by the great folks over at TommyWalkerMinistries.org. Check it out and consider supporting them. TommyWalkerMinistries.org. Remember, you can't change your life until you change your mind. And the good news is you can start today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren. I'll talk to you soon. God bless you, friend. Have a great day.